Good evening everyone and welcome. Tonight's class is titled When You Don't Feel the Love. And the title itself can be confusing because when we talk about marriage, a marriage between a husband and wife, so the Torah says that there should be some sort of attraction. There shouldn't be however the Torah defines it. We're not talking about love the way the world looks at it. But there should be an attraction between the husband and wife. But that's only possible if the husband and wife are both, both physical. If the husband is spiritual and the wife is physical, it's hard for there to be a real physical attraction to each other. So how can we physically love God if we're the spouse? How can we physically love God if we don't see Him? A little of a problem, Yosef. What do you think? Mm-hmm. So, and yet, we're commanded to love God via Hafta Hashem Alokechaz. Shema. Within the Shema. Not all love is physical or involves a, 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 that kind of attraction. Where it suggests, it, and I think it's unfortunate, is the extent to which the scripture and commentary thereon refers to the relationship between Israel and Hashem in female and male terms so that it is easily comprehensible although not actual but um, there is a great deal spiritual that one can love and uh, you you can see that Uh, I love that picture well you might think it's colloquial but it might be something so beautiful that it inspires a reverence from almost a physical standpoint and yet there's nothing about it that is that way and to my thinking although it may be incorrect and amateurish (coughs) My relationship with Hashem has always been like an extremely close friend, and I don't think that's sacrilegious. Uh, somebody who is more mature, well, he could be more mature than everybody I know, and that wouldn't be anything, but be that as it may, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a, a very personal, uh, a superior, inferior, but nonetheless close relationship that doesn't involve specifically human terms at all. Yes, and I want to just follow up on what David said, that completely we can create a love for Hashem and we're commanded to create a love the question is not all of us can for example David gave a good example if you see a painting and you love it some people love it some people won't love it so we're over here the Torah is saying everybody needs to love Hashem not everybody has the intellectual capacity to take what their mind is thinking as, we're, as we've learned and will continue to learn many reasons we should love Hashem, not all of us have the ability to take that love and bring it down into our heart and make it an active love. What happens then? You know, they say if you go to a restaurant, you could tell who's engaged and who's married. The engaged couples, they look at each other. The married couples, they're looking at everything else. You know, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, we're not, we're not feeling, we're not able to create that feeling within ourselves, the love for God. And if the Bainani, this person, the Tanya's premise is that the ability to be a Bainani is Karov. What does Karov mean, Moshe Mendel? Karov? Karov. Related to Kirov? Yes, exactly. What does that mean? Uh, reaching out. No. Karov means to bring close. Kirov means to bring close. 
Okay. Now, there's a big difference. Ki karov, it's very close to you, the Torah. It's extremely close to fulfill the Torah in every... It's extremely feasible. How could it be extremely feasible to create this love for God that will allow us to do whatever Hashem wants? And today we're going to learn something phenomenal. But before we learn it, Yitzchak, why do we need to love Hashem? Why is that important? If God wants us to put on tefillin, who cares if we love Him or not? Or why does, why is that, how does that come into the equation? It's easier to maintain your connection when you're in love. Well, that's the reason we say one of the reasons. And Yitzchak, please, uh, I have an empty chair here. Wait, Baruch or or Yosef, Hillel Shlomo. For us to not go against Hashem, we need to fear Him. Love won't do it. We've discussed many times people who love fish. They don't love fish. They hate it. They eat it up, right? Or the same thing. If you if if you love something. Someone loves their spouse. That doesn't mean they're going to do everything their spouse wants. If they fear their spouse, they'll do everything their spouse wants. <laughs> Correct, David? Absolutely. <laughs> so, to make... If only I had no... <laughs> to make sure we do what Hashem wants, fear is the key. Why do we need to love Hashem? Yosef, why do we need to love Hashem? Um... What's, what's so important about it? I don't mean to put you on the spot over here. But you better come up with an answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, it's such a broad I, question. Um, I think that, you know, if, you, if you're going to devote your life to something, it, it, it helps to love. Yeah, it helps to love your job. Correct? That's, that's a good reason. But why is it a necessity? One of the 613 commandments, and one of, in the Shema itself, the Ahavta, Sharon, why do we need to love Hashem? Well, it's all powerful, and it, it, it is spiritual. I don't know. We don't have a clue. Uh, that's a reason to fear Him. I know. So, the well, it, this is from this chapter, something about the love and the fear helps us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Very good, Sharon. <laughs> The Zohar tells us <laughs> one more story, a classical story. Baal Shem Tov, he walks into a shul and he says, this shul, it's full of prayer. He continues on to the next shul, he says, this shul is empty, not a word of prayer. His students are bewildered. Bewildered. In the first shul, which was full of prayer, not a word of prayer was said, everyone was talking. In the second shul, where the Baal Shem Tov said it's empty, every word was said so eloquently that everyone was praying. The shul that was, no one was praying was full of prayer, however the shul that was, everyone was praying was empty of prayer. So the student said, what's the meaning behind this? And he shared, it's simple. Every word we say creates angels. Are those angels healthy or are they, are they crippled? I'm going to digress to another story and bring back to this one. My mother's father, he, whenever a shidduch would come up for him, he would write to the previous Rebbe. 
the names that people were suggesting he, of the girls he married. And every time, for a while, he would send in a name, the previous Rebbe would respond, it's not the right one. It happened for a long time. So, my mother's, my grandfather, he figured, just now is not the right time to get married if, everything's, if nothing's good. And after a while of not writing in different options that had come up, the previous Rebbe said, Why, how come you stopped writing to me? And he shared, I figured just now is not the right time. Mm-hmm. And the Rebbe, the previous Rebbe responded, he said, no, no, no. In heaven, God makes an announcement. We know the Gemara in Sota tells us that before a child is born, there's a heavenly announcement. Yankel is going to marry Sarah, and every, every man and woman, their names are announced together. The problem is, in heaven there's some crippled angels. So instead of hearing Chaya, they hear Chana. Instead of hearing Chaya, if they're really bad, they heard Sarah. So before someone gets married, all those crippled, all the thoughts of the crippled angels need to be passed through first, filtered, and then you're going to get the right person. So the fact that you have to often, oftentimes go through a process to find the right person, that's caused by the crippled angels. Unfortunately, we have angels that are crippled in heaven. Going back to our story, the Baal Shem Tov said, every word of prayer has an angel. If they're healthy, they go straight up. If they're crippled, they stay in shul. In the shul, I said it was full of prayer. Everyone was talking because all the words of prayer that were said remained right there. They couldn't ascend to heaven. The angels were crippled. But in the shul where everyone was praying beautifully, the shul was empty. Everything had, got, had been elevated straight to heaven. The Zohar tells us what are the angels of mitzvot. They are our love and fear. The love on one side, the fear on the other side. Those are the Godfin, the wings, that elevate our actions. Love and fear are essential to allowing our actions to continue on high. And there was one point I wanted to go back to. Dr. Yosef touched on this. You could tell and David, you'll correct me if I'm incorrect. You could tell if a spouse is doing something for their... if someone is doing something for their spouse out of love or out of fear. Just look at their face when they do it. Is that a fair assumption? There's a phrase in Ladino. Cara de perro. The face of a dog. I thought of that often. You could tell why someone's doing something. Yes, you're right. I didn't give a direct answer. No, no, no. You, you gave a direct answer. You, you could tell why you're doing something and, and if you do it out of love, it's a whole new energy. So love is essential to our Torah and mitzvot. Aha! So love is essential and the Bainani can't create it. So are you going to tell me that all of us if, if you're a Bainanim, if you're a Tzaddik, you could close your ears. But all of us who are Bainanim, are you going to tell me all our actions are crippled and they're remaining down here? There's a good example of what you said and that you watch a parent when that parent is speaking to his or her child. And that almost invariably is love. No matter what the child does, that love is there. And the parent is Hashem. That Hashem always loves us. That's true. Good point. Thank you. So the love is essential. And if we can't create it, so those people, like David mentioned, that are fortunate to look at the painting and be inspired and love it, you're in luck. 
Someone who could think about the greatness of Hashem and just the moment he thinks about how awesome Hashem is and how all of us are nothing relative to Him. Immediately that creates a love. Lucky you, Yishai. But all of us, if we're, our thinking doesn't create that love, is our, are we all crippled? God forbid. And that is the message we're going to learn together tonight. Let's continue. Let's see it inside. Chapter 16, page 68, right column, furthermore. Second line. Again, chapter 16, page 68, top of the right column. Furthermore, the most important principle that a Bainani needs to know, one must know an additional important principle in the service of the Bainanim intermediate. What is an important principle? This is that even if the capacity of one's intellect, intellect and the spirit of one's understanding do not attain to the level of producing a revealed love of God in one's heart, your intellect, you may be brilliant, but your intellect is not connected to your heart. Of course it's connected, but the connection is not strong enough to create this awesome love for, God, for Hashem. What type of love are we looking for currently? To make it glow like burning coals. With the great desire and yearning and heartfelt passion to cleave to Him. You're not able to create this love like burning coals. Ah, but what can you do? But the love is hidden in one's brain. And in the recess, recesses of one's heart. So you can't create... To love like fire. But nonetheless, let's go back to that picture that David mentioned. Some of us look at it and we're inspired. Everyone has the ability to look at an amazing picture and recognize there's something there. You may not, you may not love it, but you have the ability to recognize that there's something special about this. When we think about Hashem, we all have the ability to create a, a love in your brain. We'll talk about that in a minute. How do you have love in your brain? And then, concealed in your heart. What does this mean? There's three parts to creating a fiery love. When someone is, so to say, in love with anything, there's three steps to that love. Well, number one is, there's the love within the brain. There's the intellectual love. That means the brain is telling you, you should love this. That's step number one. That now goes down to your heart. And it triggers your heart to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to attach, we're going to connect with this. But that's still concealed. It, if the heart wants, it can now come out and actually express a revealed love. You could tell that this person is loving this idea. So again, there's the brain, there's the heart, there is the brain saying, I want to love this. There is the heart getting that message, and then there is the heart loving it. This person here, he's only able to get the first two. He's able to have this intellectual understanding of the greatness of God and say, Hashem is so great, I should love Him. And that's what we said. The love is hidden in one's brain. And then the love travels down to your heart. And, it, and it's telling you, you should love this. 
But that's where it stops. You're not able to create or reveal the fiery love. So what type of love do you have? <laughs> if you're not in love, what are you? Or if you're in love, so what is it not? <laughs> are you out of love? Correct. What, what, what is going on here? The brain cannot make you do something. Your heart can make you do something. What do I mean to say? You could understand the most brilliant thing that, doesn't, that, that, that will not in any way make you do it. We know many brilliant people. They could explain to you, you know, people who smoke, they could explain to you and you could explain to them why it's unhealthy, but their heart is telling them we still need to do this. Or often, each one of us in our own lives, there's many things. We tell ourselves we know it's incorrect, and if you ask me, I'll, I'll tell you it's incorrect. My brain knows it's incorrect, but my heart is telling me I just have to do it anyways. Yisha is unfamiliar with this idea. He's not. <coughs> That's why he's our mashkiach. <laughs> Dr. Yosef, you're, you're, you're with me about this point? Yeah. So what does it mean that it, our heart is, on, is not on fire, but we're loving? It means that we're doing it. We're doing what our brain is telling us. When the love is within our, concealed in our heart, it's enough love to make us do what the brain is trying to tell us. So for example, in our scenario, we're, the brain is trying to tell us to love Hashem. But we, we can't create a, an active love. We can't create a fiery love. That concealed love within us is enough to make sure that we're going to do Torah and mitzvot. You know, to take the example of someone... He's trying to convince himself he loves tomatoes. And he doesn't like them. But his brain is telling him it's smart. His brain is tell, explaining to him seven reasons why he should love... Dr. Yosef, why are tomatoes healthy? One reason. Tomatoes? Why are tomatoes healthy, Moshe? Because they have lycopene. Because they have what? Lycopene. Lyco lycopene? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, you, you dwell on this concept for a half hour one morning. You focus on it. You meditate on it. And nonetheless, your heart's like, I don't care about lycopene. <laughs> but you've dwelled on it enough that you're going to go and eat it. That is, not only that you're going to go and eat it, but you've made a commitment to eat it twice a day for the rest of your life. You may have really, that you can really create such an action. You, you overcome the dislike of beans. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, men over age 50 we were familiar with that, what like penis. Awesome. Thank you. Um, it's good for the prostate. <laughs> that is to say, back in the Tanya, top of the bottom paragraph, now that we know that there's a love in the brain and that it, it, it is able to create a concealed love, that is to say, what is the definition of a concealed love? The heart comprehends... Not that the heart is loving. We're saying here the heart comprehends, the heart understands. With the spirit of wisdom and understanding in the brain, the brain has created a message in the heart. I skipped the note. I did skip the note. We, that is to say the heart comprehends. With the spirit of wisdom and understanding in the brain, the greatness of the ain't soul, blessed is he.
in relation to whom all else has absolutely no reality relative to Hashem. Everything is nothing. We could share these points every single week. It's not enough. God, God lived. God is. God was before. He's after. We say, "Atahu kodem Hashem, you are Hashem before the world was created. you're the same after the world was created. What? Do you call a woman who has given birth the same the moment before she gave birth and a moment after? No, before she was a woman, now she's a mother. It's a whole different person. And yet we're telling Hashem, the world, you're the same with or without it. The world is nothing to Hashem. The world is... No, the world is something. Because Hashem chose it to be a something. But if Hashem didn't choose the world to be a something, then relative to Hashem, it's a nothing. Should I say that again? Or, or is it... Did that make sense, Liz? Yeah. yeah. Moshe, you got it? I did, you know. You, you got it? Yes. Yeah, good. But we're not supposed to even go there, right? We're not supposed to go to why Hashem created it. No, the Torah allows us to ask any question. The Torah does not allow us to get stumped by our questions. We're allowed to, we're allowed to discuss to the best of our understanding godliness. Not only we're allowed to, the first mitzvah. Can anyone here share with me? What is the first mitzvah? I am Hashem, your God. What do you need to do because of that? The first of the Ten Commandments, the greatest thing God ever said. I am God. Okay, now what? What's the mitzvah, Basha? I am God, your God. And now, so what's the mitzvah? Believe in God. The mitzvah is close to know God. The Rambam says we need to know God. So you, not only should you try and understand godliness, the first and most, and the, the, the first commandment of the Ten Commandments includes all other, the, the, the remaining 613 commandments. So this mitzvah, to know godliness, is not just a mitzvah. Does that make sense, Moshe? Okay, so back to our conversation. If you think about this idea, how Hashem, the world relative to Hashem is nothing, absolutely nothing. Let's continue the concept. Okay, this is your thinking that in relation to whom all else has absolutely no reality, the world, we, humans, in relation to Hashem, <laughs> we have no reality. For which reason? If that's, if that's the truth, it is due unto Him, it's due to Hashem, blessed be He, that the soul of every living create, creature should yearn for Him to cleave and be absorbed in His light. What are the first words man ever said? The first words ever said by man are? We all know what Neil Armstrong said on the moon. But what's the first word man ever said? Okay, this is a pop quiz. Hello, Eve. <laughs> Hello, Eve. Eve wasn't alive yet. Hello, Earth. The first words said by man are, We say in Kabbalat Shabbat, the first opening words are Let us go praise God. First words man ever said. It's also the last sentence of Wednesday. Yes, also the last sentence of the Wednesday Shir Shalyom. So, Adam, Adam already recognized we need to thank Hashem. 
we're nothing without Hashem. The, the soul of every living creature should yearn for Him, to cleave and be absorbed in His light. Now, how many parts? Here's a little pop quiz on what we've learned in chapter, the beginning chapters. How many parts to the soul are there? Two. There are two souls. There is a godly and animalistic soul within each soul. How many parts is that broken up into? I am not talking about the tensif he wrote. In a, the the tensif he wrote, how many parts of the soul are there? Yishai? Five. Thank you, Basha. There are five. How many parts of those five are in your body? Three. Two of them are in heaven, and that is why we learn that every day there are heavenly announcements made. Bas kol yotzeis. We learn in Pirkei Avot about heavenly announcements in the Talmud. But who's hearing these heavenly announcements? The answer is David is. The answer is all of us are. are the two parts of our soul, the Chaya and Yechida, um, are hearing all of these announcements. So three parts of our soul are within us. And now in the Tanya we're going to enumerate that all three of these parts, called Nefesh, Chaya, Nefesh, Ruach, and Nishama, all of these three parts, which are not currently united with God, Chaya and Yechida, the two parts of our soul in heaven, are that's what they're doing. They're connected to Hashem. But the three parts of our soul that are still down here, they're currently not connected to Hashem in a revealed fashion, the ultimate fashion. Not only are they not revealed to Hashem, but I want to share with you three things. Number one is, we say in Pirkei Avot, Baal Karchachatachai. Against your will you live. The literal, the literal meaning of this Mishnah is that unfortunately there are some people that have such a horrific life, a terrible life, they suffer. And, and the Mishnah tells them, it's not your choice. You, you, you need to live anyways. Tough, tough Mishnah. Tough Mishnah. Tough call right there. May I argue with this juncture? If you allow me to first say the deeper meaning of the Mishnah, and then you could argue. The deeper meaning of the Mishnah is Bal Karchachatachai, against your will you live. It's talking to Yosef, Hilton Moshe Mendel, each and every one of us, Liz. It's talking not to you, to the body, it's talking to your soul. It's telling your soul, there's not a moment in this world you want to be here. <laughs> what could be better than. Being in your, in your parents' home. What could be better than being next to Hashem? Every two completely different situations. <laughs> <laughs> Every moment in this world is, a, is, is against what the soul wants to do. And nonetheless, we look at the soul and we tell him, I don't care what you want to do. You've got a mission and you're going to remain on this world and fulfill your mission. That's the first item. The first item I wanted to share is that whether, you want to be, whether your soul wants to be in this world or not, you're here and you need to fulfill your task. Yes, David. Is man possessed of a godly soul? Yes. Does it exist in the same way in all people? In a concealed way, yes. In a revealed way, no. Essentially... It depends on the circumstances, but it is there. And Correct. It's not always the same in all people. 
but it is undeniably there. Ah, oh, so David asks a great question, and you kind of you stole my you stole my thunder. I was leading up to that. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that's step number three. We're gonna. Right, I'll, I'll get there I'll in a moment. Quiet. I'll get there I'll in a moment. Quiet. Number two, if we look at the soul, we tell the soul the soul is like an almana. An almana is a widow. But the soul is not only like an almana, like a widow. The soul is like an almana. To quote, to quote it correctly. An almana tsirura, a tied-up wife, a bound, a bound, a bound widow. How, how do they translate it in English? So over here they say des- over here they say deserted wives. Deserted wives will, will actually help us better. We know that if a man, if a man disappeared and he's never found, the woman cannot remarry. Torah says a woman can only have one wife, and if she's married and her husband disappears without any trace. We can't prove if he's alive or dead. A wo- the, the woman is considered married, but at the same time, she, she's, not, she's not physically married. Her husband's not here. Unfortunately, this, uh, this halacha is, has had many, many effects over the... Over the over the last thousands of years, but even over the last hundred years um, in Russia, when the Russians would just unfortunately come and take Jewish people and just they, no one would ever know what happened to them. They could have killed them the next moment or they could... because... Most be- often they impressed them in the army, frankly. You're talking back like 200 years ago. I'm talking about a no, story... Even, even up until the revolution. I'm talking they- about a story from like 40, 50 years ago. Um, they just go. T- they go take them, especially Jewish children, and uh, it was it, that was particularly terrible because you would just simply fall off the edge of the earth for twenty-five years. Right, right. But in these cases, because the Russians never said what happened to the husband, the woman could never remarry, and our soul is considered this deserted is is like the this deserted woman in the sense that. Our soul wants to go back to heaven, and yet we're here. We can't do anything. After the Holocaust, the chief rabbinate had a hell of a time uh, allowing people to remarry when it was obvious that they had been gassed, but they couldn't prove anything. Yes, yes, this was it was very it was terrible. Unfortunately, nine eleven, there were some similar similar issues that came up because again, if someone died and they couldn't prove it, it was a big problem. It's a big problem. So you can't presume. No one, you're not allowed to presume, correct. No one should ever know of such things, God forbid. Um, un, just to talk about presuming, we have stories where people presumed that the husband was dead and he came back after she remarried. Like the, something like 9-11. How do you know? Maybe, anyways, I, it's not for me to explain. Couldn't find all the bodies. If you can't prove it, the Torah says... And I'm not going to get into it. It's a, it's a, but it's a good, it's a good conversation. But I wanted to share, and you feel free to ask me at any later time. It's a fascinating conversation. One of the hardest chapters in Halacha is the one that talks about this particular conversation. It's so hard that many rabbis skip over it because it's very in depth and very, um, very minute details to try and figure everything out. So the soul is trapped in the body. So David says, but who cares if the soul is trapped in the body, but God's here with me in my body. 
Is that basically your question? You're not no. trapped. It's like it's like don't say that you're you know you're you're trapped. Your your wife came with you. Hashem is with you right now. <laughs> that's not, you're that's mean. Not helpful. <laughs> in our in our example here, seemingly Hashem is with us. Our, our sorry, our husband is here. So I'd like to share with you a quote from the Rambam. The, the Rambam shares in the laws of Yesodei HaTorah, the foundation of the Torah, he shares in Hebrew. Where are we now? I, I'm going I'm to show you inside momentarily. I wanted to share this last point. This, the words of the Rambam are not in the, in the Tanya. Mm -hmm. He shares, Ein koach bedas ha'adam. It is not possible for a human mind hachai Focal word here, if, if I would give you handouts, I would have highlighted this word, made it bold. A living person. It's not possible for a living person. Which is created from a body and soul. To truly understand God. The Rambam says clearly, yes, God is living inside of you. But that body is limiting what you can and what you cannot do. You're limited. So let's put the soul back together. So the soul, your mind thinks for a moment. How each and every part of you, your nefesh, ruach, neshama, all the three parts of your soul and your body, you're trapped. You need to try and cleave to Hashem. You need to come as close as you can. So what can you do? What can you do to come close to Him? Well, if you love Him, you want to cleave to Him, how do you cleave to Hashem? Torah and mitzvot. Mm -hmm. Let's see this inside. And then we'll take questions. Likewise, page 68, three lines from the bottom of the page, likewise, likewise it is fitting in addition for the third part of the soul. To cleave to God, it is fitting for the nefesh and ruach within him to languish for him, to love him with a fervent desire. Page 70, to emerge from their cover, which is the body, in order to cleave to him. All three parts of your soul within your body. They want to let go of the body. They want to come out of the body. They want to unite with Hashem. Except that they dwell in the body. Against their will they dwell in the body. And are bound up in it like deserted wives. There's nothing they could do. You may want to remarry, you may want to, but you can't. You're in, your, you're, in your, you're in your body and there's nothing you could do. And no thought of theirs can grasp Him, Hashem, at all. Try as much as you want. You're in a body, you're limited. Ah, <laughs> there is a way to connect with Hashem, except when it grasps and is vested in the Torah and its commandments. As we discussed together in chapter 4, as in the example of embracing the king mentioned above, we discussed previously in chapter 4, that if you love a king wearing clothing, you're loving, you're, you're, sorry, if you hug a king wearing clothing, you're hugging the king. You don't need any, no one needs to remove their clothing. Right? 
the clothing is not a separation between you and that person. Torah and mitzvot we, is Hashem's clothing. So if we're connecting with Hashem through His clothing, we're touching Him. So yes, the human person cannot connect with Hashem, except through Hashem's clothing, the Torah and mitzvot. Therefore, well, if we are nothing relative to Hashem and all the three parts of our soul want to connect with Hashem, and how could we connect with Hashem through Torah and mitzvot? Therefore, it is proper for them, the three parts of the soul, to embrace Him with their whole heart, soul, and might. Which means the fulfillment of the 613 commandments in act, speech, and thought. What type of thought? What mitzvah is there to think? To speak. Okay, the Torah says we need to speak Torah, we need to speak kind words. But what's the mitzvah, what mitzvahs exist in your mind? The comprehension, the last being the comprehension of knowledge of the Torah as explained above. Let's summarize and we'll take questions. We started off saying what happens for someone who cannot create a revealed and fiery love. So we say it's enough to not to create a love within the mind that trickles down to the heart and intellectually tells you that you're, you're stuck. If you want to connect with Hashem, there's only one method. There is no other way aside for Torah and Mitzvot. That knowledge, that, hidden, that concealed love is enough. So we all hear when you, as a as a class was titled, when you don't feel the love. If you don't feel it, that's fine. As long as your heart recognizes the intellectual understanding you had. Are there any questions? Or should, do, need we summarize again? Yosef, any questions? Should we summarize again? Yeah. Sure. Let's summarize again. We all want to be a Bainani. We all strive to be a Bainani. We all strive to be the average human being who has never sinned in thought, speech, and action. That's a tall task. Never sin in thought, speech, and action. What is, how can we do that? Well, we could be that person by creating an act of love and fear for Hashem. If we have an active love and fear for Hashem, the fear will make us never sin and the love will, make, will allow us to serve God. But what happens if we can't create a love? Our, our mind is not able to really process down to our, our heart and create a, a fiery love for Hashem. Are, are we out of the race? No, we're still in. As long as our mind can create a love, that at least sends a message to the heart. The message needs to come clearly to the heart. The brain needs to say clearly, I want to love this. I want to love God. And that message needs to trickle to the heart. That's enough. We don't need the fiery love. <coughs> Pasha, any questions? Well, I'm just wondering how do people come to Hashem I mean, people, people um, do the mitzvahs and study Torah. How do they do that? Okay, I'm talking about like, like the Baal Jashubas, which we're all of here. 
and we've come from wherever we've been and we're here now, what brought us here? If, if it wasn't love for, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. No, no, no. I t- I th- I, Basha's question is, seemingly all of us have revealed love. Otherwise we wouldn't be here today. Is that your question? Great question. The truth is that a Baal Teshuvah, someone that at one point was further from Hashem and then returned, yes, he has a, he has a big advantage, as we say, over the Tzaddik. He, yes, that's a good point. And uh, hopefully all of us have a revealed love. Then we, I wasn't talking about you. Thank God. We're talking about someone who can't create that revealed love. Like David mentioned before, I think it's a good example, that picture, if you see a magnificent picture, not everyone's going to be able to create a, a revealed love for it. But one more answer to your question, another important thought. Hashem has created times and moments that are here to inspire. For example, one of them is Neila, the moment before Yom Kippur is over. That's a moment that's here to inspire. You could be, someone could be unfortunately doing everything wrong on Yom Kippur, but at the moment of Neila, just have a love, a passionate love for Hashem created. He didn't create that love. Hashem gave him that energy. And that is, that, that is able to bring him back to godliness. But that love won't stay. That was temporary. So when you talk about the Baal Teshuva, oftentimes it's at one of these moments that they're inspired. But then what? When the love leaves, then what's going to happen? That's what we're discussing here. Because remember, we've discussed in, at the times of prayer, the love is on fire in the Bainani. It's at the other times when it's the heart's not on fire. Any other questions? Please. Let me sort of make an analogy to the painting. Because it's based on the painting. painting is figurative. It no, could no, be no, no, no. So, but let's say, would, would the analogy be that even if you don't love the painting, you should study the art anyway? And so maybe at the end you'll come to love it? Exactly. Yeah. Or you may find another painting that you love, or whatever. The, the painting itself is merely representational. Right, 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 right. But, 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 but I mean, it, but I'm just trying to... Yeah. That was compl- well said. I'm, absolutely, that, that's the point. Uh, even though the analogies are so often man and woman, we need not be tied up on that. That's why we have brains, so that we do not become dominated by the physical. And as much as the, uh, as the scriptures, uh, uh, refer to the relationship between the two halves of humankind. Nonetheless, we also have a God-given brain and divine soul so that we can ascend above and beyond the physical. And we need to do that when we love Hashem. And that is the finest manifestation of humanity. We can say, I care about a child in India even though I know he is the worst sort of pagan. Because he has some, to the degree that people are not Jewish to, he's the creature of God. And I can't say, well, to brush him aside. So, to that degree, I think, and this is a, obviously a commercial message, that Judaism comes from a, a, a superior vantage. And that we don't think that uh, we can ignore the rest of humanity. We are all God created with a, to the degree that the Gentiles do, a godly soul. <coughs> 
um, when when I, it's all right because I don't want to monopolize this or I don't want to monopolize it very much. Um, thank you. Let me know when it's appropriate to make a comment. Uh, sure, at the end. Any other questions, Yitzchak? No. Sharon. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a wonderful night. Thank you. Please go ahead. I think the point is in regard to the totality of this, if I may presume to sum it up, and we have to get to the parts where this will be discussed, we haven't yet. In the very assumption that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our might, we then have to contemplate if everything God does is perfect, then why weren't we created from the very inception of the world and existed together with God all along? And the point uh, which can be drawn from the mystical side of Judaism is because God made room for us. So by making room for us, did he make a mistake? God doesn't make any mistakes. He's I think perfect. We need to say that God reformed, that he, he created the existence out of perfection. And therefore, since he created the form out of perfection which did not exist before, that we carry with us a point of divine soul and whether we want to reach out to Hashem or not, uh, it's like that classic uh, statement uh, that I may have quoted before, which I love. Nietzsche wrote uh, that God was dead and then uh, Wag said after he passed away, Nietzsche's dead. Uh, in other words, God survives regardless and that part of us uh, returns. Uh, Kabbalah goes into the return of the soul and I don't want to get into that now. But we cannot help but be of God and even though we pray and then we lose that inspiration, we cannot help but think that our creation is here uh, because of Hashem and if we don't love Him, He still loves us and we cannot get away from that. And to the degree that we assume it and uh, observe it, to that degree we return and come that much more uh, into His presence. Thank you, David. Next week my sermon will be on. <laughs> <laughs>